things aren't always what they seem, are they? For example, this part of the podcast, this opening that I do each week in the podcast, this is the very last thing that gets recorded before the podcast gets edited and published. I know it's counterintuitive, is it not? But we, when we assemble our podcast, we start, the first thing that's recorded is any feature that we have, an interview or a, uh, a presentation that I do a talk. Today, I'm going to be talking about, the, about how difficult it is to envision your new business, to, to start off on the right foot. If you're transitioning from traditional work into online business, how you decide what direction you're going. That was the first part of this podcast that was recorded. Then Rachel listens to it, uh, listens to that recorded piece and works a little bit on it or the interview that I've done. And then she and I get together and we record the opening and the closing segments of the podcast. And then finally, it's all assembled together after I've recorded this cold open. So things are not always what they seem. And when you look at online businesses that are established, that you respect, online businesses that we aspire to as entrepreneurs or as digital entrepreneurs, people who are pivoting from traditional work to online work, uh, when we see somebody who has an ongoing venture in business, I guess we could be an example of that, you think, wow, they've really got it together. They've got a plan. They know exactly what they're doing and they have it, they have it nailed because what you see the package you see before you is complete and cohesive. But just like this podcast, typically speaking, any online business that you see was built in fits and starts and it was cobbled together from all sorts of misfitting pieces as the entrepreneur figured out exactly how their business was going to work, how they were going to relate to their community and their audience and how they were going to make money. It's never what it seems. And so, but, but because it appears on the outside to be so cohesive, to be so, so, so on top of things, I think we get intimidated a little bit when we start thinking about our own online ventures and maybe we, it slows us down because we don't have the clear idea that we see in other people's business models. So we think therefore we are not worthy. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. Every single online person that you'd see that has an online business, they're like a duck. They're floating along serenely. They look calm as can be on the surface, but beneath it, they are paddling like hell just to keep up. We'll be taking a look at how you can get started churning away, paddling away, and look calm as can be on the surface as we discuss how you can envision your online business coming up today on Gray Matters. Steve Dotto here. How the heck you doing this fine day? Welcome to Gray Matters, the podcast for baby boomers and Gen X who are interested in online business. We are interested in finding our place in the digital age. In this podcast, you'll learn about online marketing, community building, social networking, and more, all from our perspective. The world's changing. Our prospects are changing. The job market is not interested in us anymore, and many of us face a reluctant retirement, and that is not cool. We need to take our years of experience and put it to work for us, a side hustle or online business of our own. We need to develop mad skills to adapt and evolve in order to thrive in this digital age. I can help. I want to help. And this podcast will help. It wasn't that long ago that I was struggling to transition from my former career in traditional broadcasting into online business. There were lots of bumps and bruises along the way, but I'm here to say it is a fantastic and worthwhile journey. I am glad you found us. Joining me now, Rachel Moore. Rachel, how the heck are you doing this fine day? I'm doing well, but you know, I, I was going to share with you frustration. I don't know if you feel this. Um, I, I check news on my phone every day, and uh, mm -hmm. in the first half hour of yesterday, I found three errors on articles from like major news sources. I'm talking like NBC News, I'm talking Fast Company, I'm talking Yahoo News. And I mean, and I, it's just frustrating to me, someone who writes copy and, you know, kind of, you know, gets pretty exacting about that stuff. I don't know if any of our listeners or you feel the same way, but it just frustrates the snot out of me when I see stuff like that. So are you talking about typos? Yes. Like, oh, okay. like little, and, this is stuff, so for any of you who, who, I use Grammarly, I actually use a free version. I mean, 
even mm-hmm. if you're using like tool, there's apps that do this for you. Even if you're not proofing your own work, there are apps that do this for you. So I just don't understand why people, why these are happening. I use the paid version of Grammarly and I still screw up. Yeah. I, I have a, I have a gift. <laughs> you do. You Well, I apparently there might be some job openings, not that you would need them, but uh, at Yahoo News, at Fast Company and NBC News. Okay. <laughs> it's, good <to> know. <laughs> it's good to know that I'm in good company. It's good to know that I am in <laughs> Good company. So that that brings us to there's some. It's been an interesting week. So you were checking your news because there's been a lot happening this week. I've got a couple of uh, I've got a couple of killer stories. But you you now you have three. Are you are we gonna let you do three? Let's see how long they take. Maybe we'll let you do a bonus. Okay, one. okay. I'll I'll do two, and if we have time, we can do third. If not, I'll totally put the link in the notes, and you guys can see what I've been thinking about. But um, okay. So what's your what what's what's caught your attention this week? It, was it spelled correctly first of all? Uh yes, as as far as I can see and this was fr- this first article is from TechCrunch. I do like them and they t- mm-hmm. tend to be pretty accurate. Uh so uh I'd love to know. I mean, Steve, you know, we all kind of look at those vanity metrics on social. Uh you know, yep. how many followers of course that cuz that's important. Um how many likes, reactions and things you have on your posts. Um mm-hmm. and so this one ties into this I, and this will impact uh, professional and personal profiles. It doesn't, the story I'm sharing does not indicate it's going to be impacting. I don't think it can be something that would be on like a Facebook page necessarily, but Facebook and Instagram uh, is are going to roll out where they can allow users to hide like counts on your mm-hmm. posts. And uh, they actually in the story will share, and then it'll be in the show notes. Um, they were thinking about just across the board, just removing those like counts altogether, then realized, okay, we're going to, piss a whole lot of people off if we do that yeah um so that now they're going to make it a kind of an opt out and i think you have to do it it looks like you have to do it with each post you make the individual decision if you want to remove like counts on that post on facebook or on instagram but um they're basically saying that yeah if you want to just not even show what people how many people like your post you can do that and you can also turn it off from your viewer standpoint to where you don't even see how many people have liked a post that you're scrolling through mm. so that's that's kind of a new development mm. for that well, you know they've gone through a they've gone through quite a, uh, a an evolution of the likes. Of course, people were so needy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, we we we'll, we can see something that's fantastic or something that somebody said that is really insightful, and if we look down at the bottom of the post and nobody liked it, we we start to question our own judgment. <laughs> no, as to whether or not it's good, we do, don't we? We totally do. It's like you second yeah. guess yourself because of that pure whateverness yep, yep, peer pressure in in in, in total uh, imposter syndrome and uh, insecurity mm-hmm. yeah so the likes have always played into that and and a lot of people you know play for them and a lot of people i a lot of people will post something and then they'll go back to see if people have liked it yep exactly on an ongoing basis no i i guess i do the same i post a video and i see how many people have watched it sure. so it's not a lot different it's not a lot different um but they had to add I mean, the, the, for me, the biggest the biggest change to the like ecosystem was when they finally put in uh, the ability for you to be surprised, be angry, show mm-hmm. sympathy. Yeah. Because the worst thing was, you know, somebody posted, my dad died, and you could like it. Yeah, and you're like, I don't <laughs> like that news, you know? Yeah, yeah. So so the ability to then, to, to, the ability to have a little bit of emotional range mm-hmm. was a good thing for Facebook. I, I, I'm, a, I'm for this. I think it's a good idea. Um, you know, I, on Patreon, people can hide how many um, supporters they have or yeah. how much money they're earning. So there are things I, I'm, I'm okay with. I'm okay with it. I, I don't think I'll ever use it. I don't right. think I'll ever once go into a post because I don't. I, I can't imagine why the the reaction would affect me. Right. I, maybe it's because I'm not controversial. But uh, how, how about you? Do you think you'll use it? Um, I don't think, but but I also uh, and <laughs> this is a bit of a this is going to sound like an egotistical statement. I feel like I've evolved a little bit where I'm just like, I don't let the, the like counts phase me. I don't let like, if someone is angry at one of my posts or something like that, I, I just don't let it phase me that much. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I want to have a discussion. I'm not going to be, you know, take that personally or anything. So I don't take those like counts personally. And I try not to see, you know, cause I know, I do know people out there game the system to where they mm-hmm. go after likes. Uh, and I, one thing I really can't stand, and this is this is where I think this would be helpful, is I and I can spot them a mile away. Someone who posts something that is intentionally trying to up their like, like they say something, and you're like, you're not here to discuss or give something insightful. You just want to rile people up. 
And yeah. and yeah. I'm like, I got no time for that. I don't anyway. Yeah. So so yeah, I, I do appreciate it. I think well, there could be some use for it for mine just to not see that stuff. I would like to, I would like to Facebook to to allow me to start to apply my own filtering. Well, I guess mm-hmm. they do to a certain extent. But I'd like to, for example, I would love to be able to never again, never again see somebody asking me to share the third photograph on my camera roll. Thank you. You know, just just these just these these busy work things that they that that and people gleefully do it. I know. And I just go oh, just scroll past. I'm looking for something that's happening in people's lives. Yeah, I can't stand the ones <sighs> where they are like, you know, do, you know, I'm just checking to see who my who my friends are engaged with me. So mm-hmm. copy and paste this in your own thing, and I'll go. I'm like, I. This is an important social issue. If you really care about me, you'll share it. And if yeah. you don't share it, you don't care. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and, yes, and I don't care. And I'm usually I am like, an, I'm a I'm shallow not and callous person. I and that's me. And I'm like, I. If you haven't realized that I don't do this kind of thing, well, then maybe we should not be friends, or yeah. we are not engaged with each other. So, so that's my new story for. And and again, I think it it could be it obviously influencers care about the like counts and stuff because they use that to market yeah. themselves. So it's it's good to have the control. I think. It'll be it'll be interesting to see who that is for. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll do my my first one is um is is about Apple mm-hmm. and Epic Games, the makers of Fortnite. Do your kids play Fortnite? They have. They have played it less, but they they have okay. been into it. Yeah. So Apple, if you've if you've not been following the news, Apple and Fortnite have gotten into a pissing match. Mm-hmm. We've talked in the past about the monopoly that Apple has in the Apple store and, uh, and how developers have to go through the Apple store in order to have any applications loaded on the computer. And we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, uh, based on the fact that since Apple has this, there's a, there's a, a, a sense of, in the community that all of the apps have been properly vetted and are safe. And there was some that were actually, uh, uh causing some quite problematic issues for people in the crypto space where there were some crypto wallets that people were purchasing that were stealing money. That's a bad thing. At any rate, so Apple and, and Epic Games have been involved in a lawsuit where Epic Games is trying to, was trying to end run Apple and also the Google's Play Store to allow people to do in-app purchases but not pay their commission or their, or their, um, <laughs> or their protection money to Apple. Uh, which Apple takes 30% of everything that happens on the app store, which you, if, as you're sitting there, you might go, holy cow, that's a lot of money. But Google takes, uh, or YouTube takes 45% of every ad dollar that is spent on our YouTube channel. So it's, it's kind of in the range of the, that has already been established. So the uh, Epic is arguing that they're a monopoly and that they, that they are, uh, basically, uh, forcing developers to to march their tune and the developers don't have an option there's no there's no competition mm-hmm. and apple saying uh we built it if you want to use it you pay our price and they're both right uh but they are i think that there's going to be a the, the the looks like the lawyer the the, the judge is going to come down a little bit on both sides it looks like it probably won't it's certainly not gonna it doesn't have the authority to break up the apple store mm-hmm. but i think it's going to force apple or or recommend that apple not force the developers to use Apple Pay, for example, because Apple's double dipping if you're using Apple Pay. Totally. You're getting their 30%, but they, plus they're getting their transaction fee. Mm-hmm. And then, but they will fi- find in favor. So that's the the, the the bone that they will throw to the Epic people. And, and then with Apple, they will say, you, you can still hold your monopoly. And it's it. this is only the first phase. This, mm-hmm. whoever loses will be appealing this and this will climb over the next few years yeah. to the Supreme Court. But what it taught, what it speaks to to me is the uh, is a problem that we've been talking about, or has been in, increasingly in the news, and a little bit uh, shrilly from some politicians talking about the power that high tech companies have, and they're and what they're doing is they're whining about online about social sharing spaces, about yeah. Facebook, and you know sharing the right the, how they craft public opinion, but it, it again shows another example of the power i mean we don't realize just how much sway the high-tech companies hold over us mm-hmm. um and not not even in the overt way of saying suppressing one one side's comments versus another but even google you know just what comes up in your search results and what they direct you to as far as search that's all completely based on bias yeah often it's based on our own bias mm-hmm. but it's all bias based so it just is another example of all of these 
the, the probably a reckoning is coming at some point for high tech companies, yeah. and uh, there will ultimately be a backlash. For some reason, Apple has managed to keep this shining night um, image <laughs> yeah. all the way through everything, and they're still the most loved brand. But you know, it just I, eventually, eventually yeah. they're gonna they're gonna slip up. I think, but yeah, I'm I'm I've been wrong so far. It hasn't happened yet. So that's you know, uh, Epic Games versus Apple. You know, if anyone could, I think if any industry has a, a chance, a palpable chance to kind of disrupt Apple's stake in the whole game, it's the video game industry. Um, mm. because my, we were talking, my husband and I were talking about this, uh, cause he's, he delves tons into all the, you know, we're very much geeky and he delves in all these video game, um, podcasts and stuff, but, uh, the video game industry and particularly in the last year for sure. And it's obvious why, cause of the pandemic and people were just like, I need something to do, but it is, it is so sweeping the whole globe and they have so much power and so much money and so much sway so this is truly interesting for me to watch because yeah you know epic's going to raise the issue uh these these gaming industries have some power have some clout and so i'll be really curious to see how it turns out and it goes beyond what you it goes into places like where conversations happen you know we think that most conversation happens in facebook or an Instagram, Ooh. but Discord and the the back channels and their and their gaming channels, Twitch that they comments. can often own themselves. They can all have their own server where their community talks to each other. Totally, and the amount of the amount of communication that happens over those is epic. It's astral. <laughs> That's right. It's <laughs> a perfect word for it. <laughs> so this is something that we will keep our eye on. And I, I'm not much of a gamer, so although I did buy that, uh, I did buy the the Oculus Quest. Yeah, you were talking and, about uh, that. Yeah, and I got my I got my special corrective lenses for it now, so I don't have to wear my glasses in it. So I'm looking forward to trying it again. I just think I think you need to be taking a video outside of that and have a video of yeah. yourself playing it, and that needs to go up yeah, on your I social. Have, I have way too much. I have way too much pride for that because <laughs> <laughs> everybody looks like a total nebbish when they're it's playing those games. Awesome though. Okay, so what's your next one? All right, so I am. I think I'm going to pivot from your story. What we were talking about a little. So this segues nicely into one of the other stories I was going to talk about. So we have talked a lot about privacy on this, you know, on this podcast about, um, you know, Apple's latest iOS that is letting you opt out of that thing. Facebook freaking out about that, how we're going to target people and things like that. And, uh, and I did just have a conversation with uh, some friends earlier this week where we were joking because someone brought up some food truck and they said, oh, I'm sure you'll see a Facebook ad for that in the next day or two because everything's listening to us, right? Um, so this story, uh, it was posted on board Panda and, and we'll share it in the show notes, but it really does dive into, it's, it's a really good, uh, explainer on exactly how that phenomena happens that it's not so much that, oh, my phone or Facebook's recording my voice saying this thing. And now I see those, those, uh, actual ads or ads for that item. It's because they're recording everything. I mean, all, you know, if, and, and for everyone who's just like worried about privacy, but we're all carrying this smartphone with us everywhere we go. Um, that's the thing. And, and it's not just that it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, those nest homes, it's all the smart devices in your houses and everything like that. But we're getting tracked by every movement we make our GPS, our, you know, if you have a location turned on, I mean, all of these companies, and that's why they are data companies, right? And that's how they're able to make do so much with advertising, but because they network all that information together, and can very accurately give us and serve us up ads that we have been talking about with people, maybe verbally, and maybe not necessarily because, because our friends have been doing searches on that. That's right. That's right. So, you know, here for an example, um, I was over at a friend's house and we were at her back patio and this is where we were having this discussion and she said the name of this food truck. Now, I haven't seen an ad for it yet, but chances are she Googled it, you know, and because mm-hmm. I was in proximity to her and we text together and things like that, I'm undoubtedly probably going to see that ad pretty soon. So, yeah. but yeah, it's so it's a really good and and again, just a great reminder again of how all of this information works together. Um, so for any of our listeners who are always kind of like, yeah, have you wondered this yourself? How do you get all those ads and see all that stuff? 
or if you encounter people who are asking you that question, this uh, the link to the story on Board Panda is is a really good because it shows like Twitter threads and just people who are kind of reasoning it out and showing how it works. So, so it's, uh, it's as as stuff becomes relevant in in our age demographic, in our social group, in our geography. Mm-hmm. How yeah, how how it ends up. That's that's fascinating. I'll, I'll have a read of that. I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Now <clears throat> I'm going to make you some money in my next story. Sweet. I'm ready. Yeah. So you said your husband's a gamer. Uh, yeah. And he's really into gaming news and stuff like that. But yeah, my whole family is, I'm going to game after this so podcast. You probably have in the garage, a bunch of old gaming computers that are just sitting there gathering dust. We do. As a matter of fact. Yeah. So there's gold in them that are computers. Really? There is. So there's a worldwide silicon shortage, a worldwide uh, um, chip shortage, which is going on, which has been it's it's been slow to develop, but it's primarily due to the pandemic. And in the pandemic was a double whammy for the gaming computer industry, and specifically for the video card community. Uh, actually, there's a triple whammy against it. So first of all, with the pandemic happening, more people are at home, more people purchasing gaming systems. So there's uh, upward pressure on the on the number of different graphics cards, et cetera, that are being purchased as people are building their systems and as companies are ramping up the delivery of consoles, et cetera. Add to that with the pandemic, uh, the the uh, supply shortens because they had shutdowns in Korea and the places mm-hmm. where where Samsung, for example, makes most of their chips. And so they're, they're, the output of the factories is somewhat diminished. Add the third part of the equation, which is uh, – I. I I, I, I promised myself I'd go through today's podcast without ranting, <laughs> but those freaking crypto miners use graphics cards like crazy mm-hmm. for their Bitcoin mining. Mm-hmm. And so they, and they just, and so they've been snapping them up wherever they can. So bottom line is that getting a new graphics card for a computer, for, for a gaming computer is almost impossible. Mm. Having said that, there are lots of really good graphics cards sitting in people's computers in the used marketplace for Radeon and GeForce and all of these different cards is exploding. Really? Yes. I can see you just, you, you, the tumblers are turning. Yeah. You're thinking, I'm wow. picturing all the devices we have. I'm like, hmm, we could get rid of that. Get rid of that. Mm. Yeah. So I would suggest that you go on your local buy and sell site and see what, what you can get for the video cards and everybody listening. If you've got an old gaming computer that has a, or an old computer that has a good quality video card in it, that's just sitting there, um, check Craigslist or Facebook marketplace or whatever it is in your neighborhood and see what they're worth. I bet this is the time to sell those video cards. Cause you're never going to use them again. A lot of us just take them to the recycling depot and drop them off yeah. and they're just gone. So that's the, it's, there's the worldwide shortage. It's not going to stop anytime soon. And the, the, they're jonesing for the video cards. So a good quality video card has more value than ever before. You know, Dan, you're so right. I was actually just at a micro micro center near, near my house uh, recently because I needed to get a mouse. And um, they actually said only one motherboard per customer because there's such a shortage. And so, you know, it is there, there are things that are at high commodity right now and you're so smart right and it's great to point that out be like uh some of us do might have some laptops hanging around or computers and we could be turning that into cold hard cash i'm not sure how much how good the used marketplace is for notebooks or that sort of thing but definitely these high-end graphics cards for sure and i know you got some floating around the residents there all right i'm gonna go get some cha-ching you don't have to tell him you don't have to tell your husband you just take it he'll never notice they're missing take it out of his own computer too then it goes why won't my computer turn on? Oops. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Steve, we have one of those old IMAX. It's like got the like kind of half dome uh, base. Yeah. And so yeah. we've just been, and we've actually been offered money for those because people get into the, just wanting the whole computer. Oh yeah. The retro look. Yeah. And that's going to become even more popular because of the, uh, they've, they've released the IMAX with the colors again. So Apple's going back to that whole color look. That's right. Oh, so it's, interesting. It's, it's amazing that computers that I made my living on are now considered retro. I know. And I used to sell them when they were new. I know. You know, just, just what was your first computer? Oh my gosh. So my uncle was an engineer and he got me my first PC. That thing was half the size of my bed. It felt like my twin size bed when I was little, uh, but it was a Commodore 64. You had one. I adore my 64, my Commodore 64. You should look up the old commercials. They're still, you can still find them. Oh my gosh. I adore my 64, my Commodore 64. 
time I pass the flight with it, my Commodore 64. I rate with it, create with it, telecommunicate with it, my Commodore 64. Yeah, and you had like a little small screen and you'd like oh, use yeah, DOS. Oh, and the, the, those huge keys on the keyboard that had a throw of about six inches. Chink, chink, chink. I know, you like that, had to work up you your mark. Cassette? Did you have the cassette drive for it? No, I think I had a big, the big, the big square floppy disk, like the literal oh, okay. floppy of the floppy disk, not the little. I had three a and twenty before years. that that had a cassette drive to load the programs. I mean, yeah. really, all you got to do is go watch the movie War Games, and that was pretty much my my computer. Would you like to play a game? <laughs> and then the little phone on. The, oh my gosh! Now I got to go watch some some nostalgic things. Dealer. I adore my there we go. So I think we I think we're uh, making good time. So you can you can you can give us your third story. All right. This will be quick. Uh Twitter Spaces. It is that Twitter answer to the Clubhouse audio only kind of rooms and things like that. Twitter Spaces has heretofore only been available on your mobile device and is now going to be moving to twitter.com so you can actually go on your desktop and conduct a twitter space and participate in a twitter space from your browser which i think is really interesting and i would love to ask you was does clubhouse have a restriction since it get, I, I think i can get into it now but i just kind of have not been interested in it uh but uh is it mobile only or can you do it from browser as well i think it's mobile only okay yeah. so so I'm there you go. I'm, uh, to be honest, I'm not 100 percent sure because I, I'm that that was a previous rant, but uh, <laughs> but I realized just how crabby I am. Well, there's a lot to be crabby about. That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. At least you're not posting this on Facebook trying to get there's like a, counts. There's a podcast called the Grumpy Geeks, and I I, I I think it's a shame somebody took that name. No, the Grumpy Grumpy Old uh, Grumpy. Yeah, Is it Grumpy Old Men? No, Grumpy Old Men was a movie. I think it's Grumpy Geeks, but they are older guys. They're yeah. like they're, they're like your age. So. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, so so, but I thought that was interesting too because how much easier is it then to like if you're on a Twitter on Twitter.com on a browser conducting a Twitter space, but then you've got the keyboard in front of you and it's way easier to then and you, do some interaction. And you have and you have your high quality microphone on your desktop, so you're not you're not just using exactly. whatever is on your phone. Yeah. That's a, that's a good thing. Could be interesting. Should be very interesting. Yeah. We will check it out. So what we're going to do, I was going to take a break. I'm going to come back. I've got a feature today. I'm going to talk, I'm going to share with everybody the, one of the biggest challenges that baby boomers and Gen Xers face as we transition from our traditional work and start considering online work. And that's the, the conundrum of the decision of what am I going to do? How do I decide what business I'm in? It's not an easy topic, but it's a topic we are going to tackle right after this. Do you need a little more Steve time? Well, I get it, and I have something for you. Do you know that we host a free live training almost every week? This is a fact. Most weeks we host a free tutorial webinar covering productivity, content creation, and online marketing. It is called Webinar Wednesday, and you can find out about this week's webinar by visiting dototech.com slash webinar Wednesday, or check out the links in the show notes. You know, Webinar Wednesday has become an online institution. I've hosted over 160 of them, and we are still going strong. I know, it almost sounds too good to be true. Free training every week and a chance to learn more about productivity, content creation, or online marketing, and more Steve? Oh, pinch me. I'm in a little bit of heaven. The links are in the description, or visit dototech.com slash Webinar Wednesday. Oh, I am reticent to take on this topic because this is one of the most difficult conversations that I have. Not difficult from a, this is a hard thing for us to talk about, but difficult for this is a hard thing to come to a resolution on. And that is, if you are building a business, looking to start your own business, start your own side hustle, and you don't have immediately coming out of your existing experience, total clarity on what that business is going to look like and what it should be. If you don't have that clarity, and to be fair, most people do not have that clarity immediately. And if you don't have that clarity, it can be so difficult to get to that point. It is so confusing all of once you start working within your imagination of what your business should look like and, and how it's going to fit. It's a, it's just a massive challenge 
to start out in the right direction, to start your online business. So today I thought we'd take a few minutes and we'll talk a little bit. I don't think we're going to solve the problem today, but we're going to get you thinking about that niche, get you thinking about building that business. And actually this works not just for building a business, but it can work for creating an online course or a product, or it can work in a lot of different, uh, or the, the, the strategies that we're going to start talking about today can work for us in a lot of different scenarios, but we're going to base it on the big picture starting a business. And I think a lot of people, when they consider that they are going to start a new business, they start and rightfully so they start with thinking about what's going to be the most fulfilling for them. They start with their passion. And if the truth be told, I have a little bit of bad news for you. If you build a business on your passion, your passion will probably fail you. It's not the right way to go. It's not that it shouldn't be part of the conversation because it absolutely should be. We have to be engaged. We have to care about what it is we are doing. But the first order of business in building a business is not determining your passion. The first order of business is finding the problems. Problems are what creates opportunities. Opportunities are what create business. So we need to find problems. So really, when you start uh, thinking about an online business, I would encourage you to make two circles and, and have an intersection of the two circles, you know, the start of a, a Venn diagram. And on one side, put your passions. Say what it is you are interested in. On the other side, put what you understand, what you know about, the businesses that you understand. And if you can, start to identify the challenges that are within that within that sweet space, within, within the, within the marketplace that you understand, because the answer for your business is always going to be a problem. Specifically, I'm talking about where you find success is solving people's problems, creating something that makes their life better, that makes their life easier, that overcomes an obstacle. If you can find that intersection, that's where the dialogue begins. The internal dialogue begins in figuring out exactly what your business can and should look like. The other big issue with building your business based on your passion is your passion and your interests should not be the motivating factor for a business. You shouldn't be going into building a new business with the goals of that business being, I'm looking to remove my commute. I am looking to get out from under the thumb of a bad boss. I'm looking for independence. I'm looking to make more money. I'm looking for all of the good things that entrepreneurship and uh, side hustles provide. That should not be the overriding goal. Those are the results of you having a good business, of you building a good business, but your goals should be to solve people's problems. Your goals should be the benefit of your customers. If you build a business based on your passion, the things that you know about, and focus on solving your customer's problems, serving that community, serving your community and your customer. That is a recipe for a successful online business. That is a recipe for a successful entrepreneurial venture. The next thing that we need to think about is the focus of the business, is how narrow a scope the business is going to have. And I'm working my way around to the term niche or niche. Uh, I don't know the proper pronunciation. I tend to say niche when I talk, when I say, when I talk about the focusing down on a smaller, smaller, more focused marketplace, but there's a wonderful turn of phrase, which is the riches are in the niches. And I don't think it works if you say the riches are in the niches. And I don't think it works if you say the reaches are in the niches. Having said that, I still, as I talk about it, I always tend to say the word niche instead of niche, but you know what I'm talking about. The more that we focus in on the, uh, on a narrow, on a narrow scope for our business, the more successful we're going to be. And this is another difficult thing to do because when you start building a business, you are most concerned at the beginning about a customer base. And if you have a narrow focus, you just instinctively feel that there's going to be less people interested in your business. So it's going to be harder to get traction when actually that is not true. When you start to consider the 
profound reach, 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 reach. The niche is in the reach. Uh, but when you start to consider the profound reach that you have in the online space, you will realize that there is no shortage of customers once you determine what your marketplace is. You're just going to have to trust me on this. There is no shortage of people when you consider how vast the internet is. You just have to find a way to talk to those people. So the more that you can focus down, the more that you can narrow the scope of your business, the more successful you're going to be. Because when you do niche down, when you focus in on a smaller area, a couple of things happen. First of all, you end up with actually less competition, which isn't as big a deal as it might sound, but you do end up with less competition. But more importantly, you end up with more value in whatever it is you are delivering. It's more valuable because it's it's on point. Everything that you create is on point for whoever happens to be looking for that particular solution. Uh, and as a result, you also end up with higher visibility. If you think about how you're going to rank in different search engines, the more that you focus on a topic, the more Google or YouTube or the different search engines recognize that your content is focused on that topic, you are going to be rewarded by ranking ultimately in search, which is a huge benefit. There's a ver there's just a lot of real positives that come out of focusing down whereas there are very few negatives. The one negative that most people think of, which is a smaller marketplace, is, a, is, more of a, is more of a just a fabrication of their imagination than reality as far as that goes. So if you want to stop and take a step back and think about some examples of where niching really works, I just bought a pair of socks. I just didn't buy a pair. I just bought four pairs of socks, and I spent way more money than I've ever spent on socks before. I don't know if you've heard of this company, Bombass but they are a clothing manufacturer. They, they, they manufacture socks. That is their niche. And if you think about the kind of the broad spectrum, if they, if you, if they were worried about going into the largest possible marketplace, they would have gone into business manufacturing clothing. Lots of people manufacture clothing and are very successful and have broad reach, but Bombas didn't decide to do that. They wanted a smaller niche. So they went down to performance clothing. If you think about laddering down as far as niching down or laddering up, I guess you could look at it either way. In a performance clothing space for kind of sports performance or for uh, high-end clothing, uh, for as far as performance based, there's lots of brands. You know, there's Nike, there's New Balance, there's there's Lululemon, there's Tommy Copper, there's Under Armour, and all of those companies also make really great socks. But they also make you know. Um, uh, Under Armour also makes compression underwear, compression shorts and compression shirts. And, and Tommy Copper also makes armbands and, and t-shirts and New Balance makes shoes as well as socks and, and track suits and Nike. It just goes on and on, but not Bombas. No, no, no. They just make socks. Now let's go back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, which is what's one of the real hallmarks of a successful online business. And that is solving a problem. Well, what in the world problem could Bombas possibly be solving? The, we think that the world doesn't have a problem putting socks on their feet. There's cheap socks available at every department store, drug stores, they're available everywhere. But there is a problem. Bombas identified that in clothing shelters, one of the most needed items are socks. They're the hardest thing for, for people who are down on their luck to get. And it makes a big difference on their comfort and the, and the, and their, the health of the, you know, their overall health because of how comfortable they are and having wet feet makes you sick or no, there's a whole bunch of issues, but socks are hard to come by in shelters. So the solution they said was, if you buy a pair of socks from us, we will donate another pair of socks to a shelter, to a homeless shelter. And they, they, their socks are at a premium. They charge a premium price, but there's a re, but you know, now how, how that money is going to be spent. I get a good pair of socks and they make great socks. I mean, their socks, if you, if you're into socks, they've really nailed the sock game, but the problem that they identified was one of social responsibility that many of us want to be more socially responsible. And they found a problem out there and they addressed that problem. Now it was a little bit tangential, but it still follows the rules that we just talked about. Consequently, they're very successful. Their message resonates and people are willing to spend more for the quality socks from Bombas than they are, than they could, could by just going into the local sport check and buying a pair of Nike socks, which are probably within a couple of percent, just as good as the Bombas socks. I don't know that for sure. I'm not a sock expert, but my feet are happy in both. Niching down 
is the reason that Bombas is so successful. They struck a chord, they found a problem, they solved a problem, they served a marketplace, and they are now successful. Now that's a large scale. I mean, it's much larger scale than most of us are going to aspire to, but it does give us, I think, a really good snapshot of the value of niching down. Now let's return to those circles that I talked about at the beginning. And here is where we get interactive. Get out your pens and papers, kids. It's time for us to do a little project. I want you to make three circles, uh, that form a Venn diagram. They call intersect. I think they're called intersecting circles where you have the circles overlap. So you've got that little, that little area in the center, which is going to be the sweet spot, which we'll be talking about in a moment. But in one circle, write down your passions, the things you'd love to do, the things that would 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 you would find fulfilling doing as your own business. In the next circle, take a pragmatic approach and in your area of expertise, write down what the most profitable business opportunities are. Write down examples or markets of the most profitable businesses in your space. In the third circle, Write down the problems that you think you can help solve or the problems that you recognize within your area of expertise. If you pull all of those things together, and, and remember now your area of expertise doesn't necessarily have to be a passion that you have. It's just what you're good at. But still, if you put all of those things down, that center section in the Venn diagram is going to represent where the opportunity lies, where you can start to cast your imagination and start thinking about what sort of an online business is going to work for you that will be both profitable, successful, and fulfilling for you. It's not an easy process, and I'm not expecting you to find success the very first time you do it. I'm, I'm just going to take you in a little bit into my own personal life. In, when I stopped doing my TV show now 10 years ago, I knew that I was good, a good communicator, knew I was good at making video and I was good at explaining how to use technology and I started a YouTube channel and, but I didn't have a goal in mind. I didn't have a passion. I didn't have the, the passion for the business. I enjoyed the process, but it wasn't, I wasn't a passion driven entrepreneur at that point. And I really didn't have a great focus. I was just lucky enough that I fell into a spot that I could create content and kind of learn as I go. But if you think about the three circles, I started with my area of competence, which would be one of those circles, creating content for YouTube. And over time, I discovered the problem and I discovered my passion. And that was, that happened over several years. The problem that I discovered was that baby boomers and Gen X needed some leadership. They needed to understand that they could be successful in this business, in online business. And I recognized that my expertise, that I had the expertise to teach people how to do that because I had successfully navigated that. And then the most important part of the puzzle, even though I said it was the least important right at the beginning, is I discovered I had a passion for that topic. I really wanted to help. I really wanted to be a difference maker for my peers in helping them pivot and create a new online business for themselves. So it took me time for the Venn diagram to come together and for me to understand that I wanted to create content to teach people, to teach baby boomers and Gen Xers how to build online businesses. So don't beat yourself up if as you are thinking about starting your own online business, you don't have clarity. It's going to be very unlikely that you have the kind of clarity that uh, somebody like myself has now at this point in my business right at the beginning. It's a journey. It's a process that you're going to work through. So give yourself the grace of discovery and recognize that you can start out, you can start working in the areas that you know you're good at, in the areas that you are passionate about, or the areas that you have expertise in, or the area that you recognize problems in, and you can work to fill in the other aspects that give you a holistic view of what the business is ultimately going to look like. And I got to tell you, as far as I'm concerned, this is one rewarding journey. Every time you nail and figure out what one of those, one of those core principle values are, it is, uh, I get fired up when I, when I, the day that I kind of the penny dropped and I said, wait a minute, I really want to help baby boomers build online businesses. It, it felt like, it felt like uh, a veil was lifted from my eyes and I had total clarity on what my business was going to look like because I had all of the other pieces in place. That was the last piece of the puzzle. So you just have to start now putting the puzzle together one piece at a time. Rachel Moore. So if you had to pivot and start a new business, do you know what you'd do? Well, I know what I do first is I'm going to do this Venn diagram circle thing you talked about. <laughs> and I, 
you know, it's so, I feel like sometimes you've picked these features that you're, you've crawled inside my head and like said, Ooh, let me just rifle through and see the things Rachel's done. And I'm going to go talk about how to do it better. Cause I swear, uh, I wish I would have done something like that before trying my own business and things like that. Cause you're right. Just narrowing down that focus and figuring out where the, the intersection happens between passion and opportunities and needs in, in the industries and marketplaces you're thinking about would be a huge help before people just start trying to, you know, kind of do this fire hose of business attempts and, and it's just chaotic. So, uh, I think, I think I actually wrote it down. One of the, the phrases that I used is your passion will fail you. And, and it's, it's a terrible thing to say, and I don't mean it to be, I don't mean it to be deflating. Yeah. But I think we have to be pragmatic about things mm-hmm. and we have to recognize that we make bad decisions and we make bad decisions because we don't apply perspective and we don't take a step back and we want something to be. So we believe it will be without fail. I think that, you know, you know, we've talked in the past about my, one of my favorite business books, which is Mark Marcus Sheridan's they ask you answer. Having answers, having solutions to any problem is a guarantee is as close to a guarantee of success as you can have. I mean, you can still screw things up or the world can screw you up. There's a lot of ways that you can fail, but having, but solving people's problems. And just like that example that I shared about Bomba socks, mm-hmm. it's not always self-evident what the problem is, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you can come at things a little bit tangentially. So you, it take, I believe that it takes time. And for myself, the, the narrative that I shared a little bit about myself, Really to the point where I started to build the gray wave and from the time that I started, uh, hung my shingle and stopped doing the TV show, that's just about eight years. Yeah. Yeah. Now I don't recommend that. (laughs) It's not because I wanted it that way. And I was always being profitable. I was always, you know, I was always working in the right direction, but I had a successful business Mm -hmm. long before the passion came into it. Um, and, and I always kept an eye for the passion. I always wanted it and I was engaged enough. I enjoyed the business enough, Yeah. but we have to be flexible. We have to be yeah. willing to make changes and to pivot as we go. Uh, we've talked a lot about old school business being, you know, build and deploy where you would do a business plan and you'd plan everything out. And then you'd, you'd, you'd have all your business cards printed. You'd have every step of the business done before you launched. And then, but then you were on a path you basically aimed and fired and nothing was going to stop that bullet. Either it was going to miss the target or it was going to hit the target. That's right. And there was, there was no chance to change the trajectory. Today we have the ability to Mm -hmm. start a business with nothing more than a blog post. You know, it's say, Oh, people are interested in that. Let me see where this goes. So we can grow it and we can, we can constantly pivot and we can make lots of different changes in, in our, in our direction. Baby boomers and Gen X, we aren't necessarily comfortable with that because we say, oh, if we make a change in direction, if we change the trajectory of our business, that they somehow equate that with failure of the plans yeah. that they had and put in right. place. And they're married to that. Mm-hmm. And that's a mistake. It is. Whereas if you're able to be flexible and you're able to look at it and say, oh, I didn't realize that there was this opportunity I can learn. And here's what we can do. And then you start moving in that direction. Uh, I have a great example of that too. A friend of mine, she is a global uh, trainer for uh, leadership. And, and it, it's for all kind of ages and groups and stuff like that. But she had her whole business based on going and being a person in the room that goes mm-hmm. through all these. Re- and her, her whole claim was like, hey, we, we'll help you meet your Fitbit goal by the end of this meeting because, you know, it's activity, right? It's not death by PowerPoint. Well, then COVID hit. So she can't go to these places. She can't be in person here. And so instead of just being like, well, crud, I guess, you know, I can't do anything. She instead. and, and Does anybody actually say crud? I say crud. Okay. Crud. There you go. Yeah. Someone else out there listening is like, you I say it. crud. You own it. Yeah, that's right. You can, whoever you can tag me if you also say crud. But um, she, instead of just saying, oh, well, I guess I can't do that. She, she kind of did what you, your Venn diagram talked about immediately saw that, Hey, there's people still need this, but now they need to do it virtually. So she actually taught a zoom course. She, she learned how to do zoom within a day. And then she taught a zoom course. And then she became the stakeholder in her industry for saying here, here, here's how to do these things via zoom instead of being in person. But it's a great example of just saying, you know, and, and again, going through that exercise you talk about where the, the needs are, could shift anything in the, these circles you talked about, 
will change. And so mm-hmm. you almost need to constantly do this exercise to say, okay, now what? Now what's that intersection telling me to do and, and with my business? So really important stuff. And also, by the way, I pronounce it niche as well. Okay. <laughs> it was all over the map with that. <laughs> also recognizing, and I, I'm pretty sure I emphasize this, but recognizing that you can take the pressure off because you don't have to know mm-hmm. when you start. This isn't a journey that you actually have to see the destination when you step on the road. The, your, your desire to build your own business is is enough. Now, And I'm not saying that to be irresponsible, but recognizing that that it's almost impossible for you to really sit down and to envision what a what your side hustle or your new gig is going to be as you're transitioning out of this out of the uh, the railroad tracks that you've had in your current career those are those it's just it's just um, impossible to expect that you're going to have that kind of clarity mm-hmm. and so give yourself that grace and that it's a bit of a leap of faith yeah. It, it will be a bit of a leap of faith and you have, you, you have to believe in yourself. And the thing about boomers and Gen X is, God, we've got so much experience. You know, yeah. when you stop and you look back and you, and, and you just know how this works and you know how it fits and our instincts are good if we trust them. Mm-hmm. So, because they're, 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 they're based on a lot of life experience. Yeah. And that's something that nobody else has. That's something that none of the other generations have the experience and the depth of and the depth of understanding about certain about certain things that we do. And that's that's what we want to leverage. So mm-hmm. trust yourself if you are exactly. if you are thinking about it. Exactly. Good stuff. Hey, we've hit our seventieth podcast. Woo! Go great matters. So where do people go? They're the going to go. Yeah. If y'all want to go see the notes we talked about in the news and just also some general notes about what we talked about in today's episode, uh, www.dototech.com slash seven zero gray. And that's gray with an E. So dototech.com slash 70 gray. Rachel, uh, thanks so much for your energy today and your effort. We will see you all next time here on Gray Matters. Till then, I'm Steve Dotto. Have fun storming a castle. Think it'll work? It would take a miracle.